Let's pray. What a beautiful week, Lord God. Thank you so much for hearing our prayers last week as we prayed for rain and we prayed for nonviolent rain. Whoop, whoop. Thank you, Lord, for that. And uh, we're grateful for a beautiful day yesterday and, and even promised today. And uh, for those things, Lord, we're, we're, we thank you very much. We thank you for hearing us. We prayed for others as well. We prayed for Fred. We prayed for, um, prayed for Mandy and for others. Lord, thank you for hearing us. We pray that you continue to sustain them and strengthen them. We ask you to guide us as we move into Psalm 35 and that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, that you would be our, bring us into all truth and point us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So this evening I go to Grace PCA in Stillwater and we, what we do is when they have a new pastor, we do what we call an installation service. It's very much like when we do elders and deacons here. And so we're going to be installing the new pastor. His name is Wilson Van Hooser, who was the campus minister. And I'm going to ask my friend, I get to give the charge, and so I'm having a guy I carved who's going to help me do the charge. He's called the Parson. So I spent a week and a half carving him. The cool thing is he's got a Bible, and on the inside of the Bible is the passage I'm actually going to use to charge him with so he'll remember. Right? So it's cool. So that's the Parson. All right, so let's turn to Psalm 35. And there should be uh, papers around uh, with Psalm 35 on there if you don't have a Bible, whatever, or if you need big print, bigger print. Psalm 35, of David, contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Remember, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is a translator's code to let you know that's God's personal covenantal name, Yahweh. Contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of a shield, of shield and buckler, and, arise, and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chafe or chaff before the wind, with the angel of Yahweh driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of Yahweh pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then... My soul will rejoice in Yahweh, exulting in His salvation. All my bones shall say, O Yahweh, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning, but at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing like profane mockers at a feast. They gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. 
Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words, devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Yahweh. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and arouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate, O Yahweh, my God. Vindicate me, O Yahweh, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is Yahweh who delights in the welfare of His servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So we're jumping in there in Psalm 35. I'm calling it causeless strife. If you noticed in the emphases, it really is causeless. He emphasizes that several times. It's a causeless, causeless strife. Did anybody see anything that uh, pattern maybe in Psalm 35 or maybe connections with previous psalms? Anything that stuck out to you? Anybody awake? Yes. Yes. The bones. Isn't that interesting? You talk about your whole the wholeness of your of your being, you know, saying something about your bones is actually very fitting. Sometimes you hear me you know, we use that kind of language, you know, from the tips of your toes to the top of your head, right? It's the same kind of language. So very good. What else do you see? And you, and you see it with David, for example, like after Saul, who's his big hunter, right, who's hunting him all the time, after Saul dies and Jonathan, he actually, he doesn't pray for their souls, you know, they're already dead, but he does remember them positively in prayer. And so there is that, he has that pattern, which is instructive in and of itself, right? But that's unique to the psalm where he says, look, I prayed for them and you heard me, you saw me, you saw me put on sackcloth and mourn for them, you know, and so forth, and and which makes then the causelessness of the strife even stand out more. Right? Great. Good. All right, and the angel of the Lord is here again. You can't miss that. That was back in chapter uh, in Psalm 34. Um, the angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. That was chapter 34, 7. Here he's let them, uh, in, here in verse 5, let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of Yahweh driving them away. Let their... Way be dark and slippery, and the angel of Yahweh pursuing them. So you have that 
those connections. So there's all kinds of little connections in there. That's good. So let's jump in here. Here's basically how I'm breaking it down because it looks like the psalm actually breaks into these three parts, and I'll explain it in a minute. But it's kind of like this, verse 1 and 10. Do something! Right? And then verses 11 through 18. When will you do something? And then verses 19 through 28. Get up and do something! Right? That's kind of the urgency and the, the heart of the prayer, the whole psalm as he goes through it. So, Causeless strife. Okay, so notice that without cause is mentioned two times in verse 7 and one time in verse 19. They did this without cause uh, and so forth. And then in verse 23, he says, support my cause. So causes it seems to be kind of a central aspect of this whole psalm and I just want to point that out verse 7 is twice without cause verse 19 without cause and then my cause verse 23 so verses 1 through 10 begin with Yahweh and then move to the foes you'll notice how it begins it begins talking to Yahweh to the Lord and saying things about him uh, knowing he can petition God to be like a warrior rise up as as his defense and then it moves to the foes but the other two sections, it goes the other direction. It starts with the foes, and then it moves to the Lord. Okay, so you, everybody see that? Okay, great. And so each of the three segments, verses 1 through 10, 11 through 18, 19 through 28, end with a promise that David and those, because remember, he's writing this not just for himself, this is becoming part of the corporate congregational singing of God's people. And so this is always in the background. So it's a, it ends with a promise that David and those singing with David will tell of God's righteousness and deliverance. Okay? And that's how that each one of those sections ends with that. Okay? So let's jump, jump into verses 1 through 10. Do something. So verse 1 seems to me to be the point of the whole psalm in one, in one major aspect. Uh, contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me, fight against those who fight against me. And so, it's like everything else after verse 1. So verse 2 to the end is developing that point of the Lord contending. Here's what I mean. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend against me and fight against against those who fight against me. Here's what I mean, verse 2 through 28. (laughs) It's kind of like that, okay? All right. So how does David think of Yahweh? How does he think of the Lord? As you look at verses, especially verses 1 through 3, how does he think of the Lord? Fred? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, all the way through the psalm, you know, like, uh, uh, they say, we have seen it, but you've seen Right, and then he's, that's the middle of the psalm. Then he says, "Vindicate me, therefore." Right? Okay. But how? Look, you look in the first few verses, especially. How does David describe the Lord? How does he think of the Lord? A warrior. That's exactly right. Notice that he, he, you know, the whole idea of shield and buckler, uh, spear and javelin, and of course that would have resonated with David because he was a warrior, right? And so, but the sense that the Lord is a warrior, uh, Trimper Longman wrote a book years ago called uh, Yah, I think it was uh, The Warrior God, I think is the name of it. And he goes through all the Old Testament to show how often the Lord is pictured as a warrior. 
And why would that be important in certain seasons of life? Why would that be important for you to, to know? That you can picture God, think of God, not picture her as an idol, but think of God as a warrior. Yeah, when you're under attack. Absolutely. The Lord is our warrior. Okay? Good. Yeah, yeah. When you get to Ephesians 6, the armor of the, the panoply of God. Right? That's what one of the hymns puts it. The whole panoply of God. Right? And so, so what does David want God to finally say to him? I am your salvation. Say to me, I am your salvation. Now that means more than just words. It's through your actions, through your defense, through all these things. Say to me, I am your salvation. Right? It's an it's a interesting statement. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What Christian doesn't go through those seasons where you go, I know these things academically or, or in the sense of uh, the cognitive, but, but right now I don't know it down in my heart. Who was it was talking about the child who had autism, who couldn't look in the face, but said, I can see you in my heart? Right? That's the prayer. I want to see you in my heart. I want to see this in my heart. I want to move it away from just the brain, the, the academic aspect really down into the, my very being. So yeah, say to me, I am your salvation. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So describe the things that David is asking for when you look at verses 4 through 6 and verse 8. And then the second part of this is why is he asking for those things? And I, I give you the references there. Okay, so why? What is, what, describe the things that David is asking for in reference to his foes, verses 4 through 6 and verse 8. <laughs> Sick them! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. I like Fred's interpretation or translation. That's why I think if we did a metered psalm version of Psalm 35, we just simply say for verse 4 through 6, and sick them, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Alright, so yeah, so basically it's, it's allow them or let them fall into the, these things. So notice the reason why. Look at verse 4, 5, and 7. Last part of verse 4, the last part of verse 5, and then verse 7. What are they doing? This is why he's asking us. What are they doing? They're laying traps, right? So they're seeking after my life, verse 4, or verse, the, end of verse, uh, the middle of verse 4, and they're devising evil, end of verse 4. How about, um, that's what I meant by verse 5. Oh, that's what I meant. Okay. And then verse 7, what have they done? In, this is what John was just saying. What have they done in verse 7? Yeah, laying traps. They've hit a net, and they dug a pit for my life. I remember when we were kids in Moore, Oklahoma, we were living at a dead end and there was a fence at the end of the dead end, right? And there's a creek on the other side and there was a path along the outside of that fence. And so my compatriots and I, we were scheming, scheming, conniving guys. We actually dug a pit on the path and we put a tarp over it and put all this Johnson grass on top. We were going to catch somebody. But that's a, I mean, that's a trap that's still used. It's used in lots of places. They often will trap animals, you know, tigers. Anybody ever seen Swiss Family Robinson? 
You remember that when they caught the tiger? Right? That's the kind of thing. Dug a pit. So they set up a trap over it so that it's covered up and then you fall, the, they fall in. So that's what they've done. They've done this for David. Preparing a way for him to fall. Does this sound like anybody you know? Anybody trying to, who is uh, seeking to entrap someone in his words? Jesus, yeah. How often do the Pharisees and Herodians try to go trap? In fact, the Gospels say that. They try to trap him in his words. And so, Lord, what, should we pay taxes or not? Right? That was one of those moments. Right? Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he knows there are traps. And so, I mean, so notice that even though in this situation, they really are David's enemies, but they're not just David's enemies. I mean, as you go through, as you read through this, and I think it's always important to remember not it's not always my enemies that are God's enemies, right? You've you, you got to keep saying that, right? So when you have a bad day with your boss, you don't, don't go to Psalm 35 and start praying, okay? That's not cool. All right? Yes? Yes, very good. Yeah, and Esther, yeah. So Haman sets up, builds these gallows for Mordecai, right? And then he ends up falling into his own trap, right? Yeah, that's a great illustration that holds those two verses there. Beautiful. All right, so um, David ends this section. What does he promise? When you look at verse 9 and 10, what is he promising in verse 9 and 10? Say, I'm sorry? I heard somebody. I'm 62 now, so I can do this. I need to be like, uh, what was the, the old trumpets they used to use? I need to give me a trumpet. What do I should carve one. What were you saying? Yeah, we're going to rejoice in the Lord. Very good. And notice the language. Um, let them, let them, let them. For, this, for these reasons, let them, let them. Then I will. So there's, there's, this, there's this petition and here's the promise. Then I will do these things. Yes, Janelle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very good. But he's telling God what he's going to do, right? So all my bones will say, O Yahweh, who is like you, delivering the poor from him, who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. So the him there is the person who's robbing, who's trying to harm. It's basically the folks he's been praying about. Yeah. Yeah, it's referring to the Lord's salvation. Yeah. Then my soul will rejoice in Yahweh, exulting in His salvation. So he's speaking the third person. Then my soul will exalt Yahweh, rejoicing in His salvation. Now he becomes personal, as Jonah was saying. And so all my bones will say this about you. And so it becomes goes from third person to first person. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the great. That's what I was trying to point out earlier. How often without cause is used in here? Because David doesn't know why they're after him. He has no idea. But they're just after him, right? Other than the fact that he's a king. But but even then, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And what the Lord does. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we basically already talked about this. How does he portray this? We got back, Steve brought up the bones. Here's the bones again, right? My bones are even going to sing to you, right? And so, I, I love that language. Even my bones will sing to you. Uh, and so, uh, notice the, uh, these two passages here. As you look at what David says, his bones will say, O Yahweh, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. So Asa, in 2 Chronicles 14.11, Asa prays, uh, Lord, you are able to deliver those who have strength or no strength. Right? And the same thing with Jonathan. The first Samuel is Jonathan as he's facing the Philistines. Saul's over there, his dad's over there, trying to figure out what in the world to do. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer way over here, he says, let's go up there and see what happens. The Lord could deliver us. He can use a large army or nobody. So let's give it a shot. And his armor bearer goes, I'm with you. Right? And off they go. And then there's this big route. But it's the same concept. The Lord doesn't need us to have a million members in a church. He can do mighty things with big numbers, little numbers. It doesn't matter. He's not stuck to that. We're the ones that are stuck on that. He's not stuck on that. What a great statement. All right. Uh, anything else on verses 1 through 10? Because now I'm going to move into verse 11 to 18. So notice the shift now. He starts in verses 1 through 10, beginning with Yahweh, and then he moves to his foes. Now starting in verse 11 and 18, in the next section, he'll start with the foes and move to Yahweh. Oops, wrong way. So how are the foes described? When you look at verses 11 through 16, how are the foes described? Speak up. Malicious witnesses. Anybody have a different translation there? No? Everybody's... Okay. Yeah, yeah. malicious witnesses. These are folks that bear false witness. They cook the books, right? So yesterday I was talking... So Derek, Derek had a bachelor's party yesterday. It was a, from noon till, I don't know when, midnight or something like that. And they went paintballing, right? Now that's a good guy's thing. It was fun to do, I'm sure. They came back miserable. They were splattered with all these paintballs and everything. And, and, and Derek says to me with great pride, he says, Dad, I dodged every one of those paintballs and not one hit me. If you look at his body, he no, it was not one that hit him. It was like 27. But he told the truth. Here's the funny point. He told the truth, but it was cooked. You know what I'm saying? Right? Here's malicious witnesses. They can tell the truth, but they misuse the truth for the purpose of getting what they want. They're malicious witnesses. Who do you know faced 
false witnesses. They couldn't even, couldn't even get their testimony right. And then when they finally did, they kind of got to the truth, but they cooked it. They actually misused it and, and misrepresented it. Anybody know? Yeah, our Lord Jesus. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Well, he did say that, John 2, talking about what temple? Temple of his body, right? But they misused it. They'd use the truth and misused it. I want you to remember that. Truth can be misused. That's also part of what's forbidden in the ninth commandment, bearing false witness. Using truth to misuse it for the purpose of destroying someone or taking them down. Okay? And so that's, these are malicious witnesses. How else are they described? Yeah, returning evil for good. Okay? And so, uh, and that's really basically how he describes them there in those verses. Uh, he goes on to say, down verse 15 to 16, how else are they described? So they're returning evil for good. He does good, they give back evil. How else is he describing them? Yes, profane mockers. I thought of a bar, actually, when I saw this. You know, they tort me like profane mockers at a feast and gnash at me with their teeth. You know, sometimes... Little inebriated people start saying things they ought not to say, and they get braggadocious and stick that chest out, and they start, you know, picking fights and so forth. I won't tell you any stories because I want to scandalize you from my early days. But it does happen, right? So good descriptions there. Yes. Yeah. Trip him up. Any way they can trip him up. So, think of how verse 7, which we looked at already, for without cause they hid their, their net for me, without cause they dug a pit for my life. How does verse 7 work out on verses 11 through 16? <clears throat> not a real deep question yeah gathering against him All right, here's how they're hiding the nets malicious witnesses returning evil for good so notice that verses 11 through 16 is just simply what verse 7 was talking about how they hid their net from me how they set up this pit to trap me right so they're even asking as Alan put it they're even asking me questions that I don't have any I don't have any answers to okay Right. Yes. Yeah. And that, that the, the intention of that, because it's really almost the center, numerically the center of the psalm, the intention of that is showing, this is what I mean by without cause. I did all these things. This is what I mean by they return evil for good. These are the way, this is how I responded toward them. And here's been their, their reply back. Yeah, here's, I mean, here's the things that I've done, yes. That, again, just emphasizing, it is without cause. And what's funny is he knows the Lord knows. So he can't be, if he's lying, he knows the Lord would know he's lying. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, sometimes you have that prayer, well, Lord, you know. You know what my intentions were. I didn't have any intention of doing what that person thought I was doing. You know, you know. And so this is the response I got. Yeah, spread. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So you so as Lee was pointing out, you know, he's frustrated. I don't know why they're after me. Look at what I did. I don't know. I don't understand it. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where that's happened where you just have no idea why are they trying to trip me up? I don't get it. And then it really hurts. It hurts even more, especially if at one point you were there they were your friends. Right? It really hurts. So I think that helps to you get a sense of the frustration. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, right? Yeah, you should be thinking about that as you're reading through Psalm, and I'll, I'll get to a specific place where you can't miss it, but you should be thinking that, that very thing as you're reading Psalm 35, you should be thinking about what happened to Jesus, the Pharisees and, how they, and the Herodians, how they tried to trip Him up, and then the kangaroo court. You should be thinking about that because all of this moves in that direction. Okay? All right, verse 17, explain the first line of verse 17, and you may need to look at verse 22 and 23 to help you a little bit. So, the first line, explain that. Yes, please, yes. It's time for you. It's, you I need you. How long are you going to sit over there on the sidelines? Right? How long before you jump in here and do something? Right? And so that's what you see when you get to verse 22 and 23. You have seen, and so I'm, I need you to come and vindicate me. Yes? It's, just, it's Adonai. It's, uh, it's just a title. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, uh, D.A. Carson wrote a book with that line, or part, echoing that line in verse 17, first part of verse 17, How Long, O Lord, and it's a book on evil and suffering. He, always, he says in the book repeatedly, this is not for somebody who's going through evil and suffering right now. This is for Christians ahead of time as preventative medicine because what makes things most hard on us when we go through evil and suffering is that we have things messed up in our heads. We don't understand the Lord and and. And so this is to help us so that when we finally do face that moment, we have at least some ground under our feet. I highly recommend that book. He wrote it in 1990, and it's a delightful book. I picked it up. You saw it in the letter the other day. I picked it up from Jim Dixon. He was cleaning out his library and asked Pastor Wes and I to go and take books, and we took them, and that was one of them I took, and finally got around to reading it. It was great. Cindy. Yes. Yes. Revelation 6. Yes. Yes, it, yes, absolutely. It's a universal cry of God's people. Revelation 6. The saints, uh, the souls of the martyred saints under the altar, even there cry it. So there's no sin in crying out and saying, How long, O Lord, until you act? Yes, sir. Yes, it is better than mine. Good job, Ben. He just dished me up some humble pie. Oh, good job. But uh, just just uh, just emphasizing again, there's nothing wrong with us asking. In fact, how does God respond? You think about the souls of the martyred saints under the altar. How does how do what response do they get when they cry? How long before you bring judgment upon those who martyred us? What's the response they get? Do you remember? 
Be patient. And they got dressed in white robes, right? God's approval. This is a good prayer. Just settle down. It's, the end is coming. Right? That's really helpful to remember. Yes? Oh, yeah. Michael Card song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Lord, yeah. And there's some funny answers to those prayers sometimes. Like the Lord sometimes says, okay, you need to be a little bit more patient. And then it surprises us because they're converted or something. You go, oh, wow. Uh, Ralph Davis puts it this way. This is what, uh, from his little book on, the Psal- on this section of the Psalms. The God of Psalm 35 has come to us and himself suffered betrayal. It does not seem to make a difference to know Uh, I'm sorry, it does seem to make a difference to know that the Lord who looks on, verse 17, how long will you look on? That the Lord who looks on has nevertheless been through betrayal himself. Yes. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 what Ralph is getting at too is just the to realize that this God that David's prayed to became fully human and was betrayed. And he knows when you cry out, he knows. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe they are. Yeah. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's go further here. And what does David promise to do? Verse you get to the end after the how long a Lord um, in verse 17 then when you get to verse 18 what does he what does he promise to do yep I will thank you right and it's in the great congregation the Mikahalim the, the great congregation in the mighty throng I will praise you and so I will make this go from personal as Jonah was putting it uh, back in verse uh, 8 and 9 to now public Right in the congregation, verses, um, verse eighteen. And so, uh, think think about Psalm forty, verses eight and ten, where David says, um, "I delight to do your will, O my God. Your laws within my heart. Therefore, I have told the great congregation the glad news of your deliverance. I have not hidden it from them. I have made sure to tell everyone." Right. And what's interesting is those words from Psalm forty, verses uh, eight through ten. The writer of Hebrews says are Jesus' words. That that is, that he puts those in the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says, I delight to do your will, O my Lord, your word, your laws within my heart, etc. And so, really interesting that play, that pull into Jesus there. But just that idea that um, not hiding the Lord's great deliverance, but telling others, especially in the great congregation. Sounds like testimony time. So what might a testimony time look like in the great assembly? 
other seasons and times where maybe we need to stop and just say, let's talk about what the Lord has done. I remember my mom's church does this every Thanksgiving. They open up the whole, it's an open mic time, and they just all go around, and it's like 2,000 members in this church, so this goes on forever. And it's like, the Lord did this, the Lord did this, the Lord did this. And I mean, the whole service is actually wrapped around that testimony time. That might be one way. What else? how How else might a testimony time look? Yeah, telling a friend, even just more personal, one-on-one, telling others like that. Or women's Bible study, men's Bible study, whatever, telling others as well. Okay? Lots of different churches have done different things for that testimony time. Okay? Um, You know, when something has happened and actually says, maybe we need to stop and just listen for a minute so we can join in adoring with this brother, this sister that's gone through a, a dark time and now has been delivered. Okay? Great. Well, let's get to the end. Verses 19 through 28. Get up and do something. So the foes are at it again. Notice he starts with the foes and then moves to the Lord. So explain some of their traits. As you look at verses 19 through 21, and then you look at verses um, 25 and 26, what are the foes, how are they described here? What are they doing? What is he wanting for them? Yeah, yeah, the gloating. Aha! Our heart's desire! Right? Or something like that, right? What else? Yes, isn't that interesting? Verse 20, they do not speak peace. So they're not after peace. uh, But they're actually against the quiet in the land. Right? They go after the quiet in the land. That's interesting. And then they devise words of deceit. Scheming and planning. What else? How else are they described? What other things are here? Seeming motivated by hate, yeah. I knew Steve would like that, yes. I was waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this all week long to hear Steve say that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, I'm sorry, it's in Hebrew, so, uh huh! There you go. All right, so regarding verse 19, especially who hate me without cause. Notice verse 19, okay? And this, this actual statement is, is stated in the Psalms in about, I think, three other places, that almost verbatim. Okay, verse 19, um, the last part, and let those who weep the eye, who hate me without cause. I think it's, uh, that statement, with who hate me without cause, is comes up in the Psalms like three other places. But I want you to go, just hold this and go over to John 15. And so we're starting at verse 18. Our Lord, this is in the upper room. This is just hours before He is arrested and tried at a court that's going to be looking for ways to lynch him and so forth. All the things you heard in Psalm 35, that's coming even more. And so notice that what Jesus tells his disciples to prepare us. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. Interesting statement. If they kept my word, they would keep yours. I'm always surprised that Christians are surprised when we get persecuted or when something happens. It's like, no, Jesus told us. This is how they look at Jesus is how they're going to look at you. How they look at you generally is how they look at Jesus. Okay, he goes on. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law. It's interesting that Jesus is calling the Psalms the law. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. As you think, if you read Psalm 35, you ought to be thinking about Jesus and how he was treated because it ends up being, you know, exactly where this was looking. Okay? David experienced these things. And how much more did our Lord Jesus experience those things, right? And then the people of God, Jesus tells us, will experience those things. Psalm 35 is for us. It's very much about Jesus, and it was David's experience. Okay? So notice the play on the word seen in verse 21. Aha! Aha! We have seen it! And then he says, what about the Lord? Verse 22, first line. You have seen! Right? Isn't that interesting? They are going to taunt him. Ah, we've seen it. And he turns around and says, but actually, you have seen. You've seen beyond whatever they see. Right? You see, you know motivations, you know intentions. You know what's actually going on back there in those paneled rooms, cigars, smoke-filled back panel rooms. I think it was what Russell Limbaugh used to say about conspiracies, the way he described them. You know what goes on back there that nobody else knows. You know what goes on in Putin's inner ring. You know what goes on in Mr. Biden's inner ring or Mr. Trump's. You know what goes on. You've seen. You've seen what happens where I'm at. You have seen. For them to say, aha, we have seen is not a threat. Because David knows there's one who actually sees clearer. Right? So what is David's get up and do something request when you get to verses 22 through 24? Yeah, it's interesting language. It's like God, it feels, it feels like God is asleep. And he's saying, get up! Do something! Wake up! Right? But if he's a warrior... You know, think about that. The first part of the, the psalm, if, it's, if he's a warrior, he's actually asking him to just jump right up, you know, awake, but jump up in the midst. The, the enemy is in the camp, right? When the enemy comes in the camp, everybody's got to jump into action right then, right? It's that kind of picture, okay? So have you noticed all of the let them, let them not language in this psalm? Have you noticed that all the way through? Let them, let them, let them, let them not, let them not, let them not. You see that? I've tried to emphasize that as I was reading it and so forth. That is now about to change. Okay, it ends. 
Verse 26 is the let them, let them be ashamed, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. Interesting, we're back to shame again, how important shame is. We forget that in America, even though there is a shame-honor culture, especially in rural towns. That was my experience. Um, but most of the world lives with shame-honor. And so that's a pretty powerful statement. Let them be the ones who carry their shame, who actually wear their shame, who are ashamed, who are shamed, okay? But now this is about to change, and you, you see it when you get to um, verse 27. Where does it change? Which direction does it go? It's the let language again. Yeah, those who delight in His righteousness, let them shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is Yahweh who delights in the welfare of His servant. Okay? So, um, that's the, let those requests there in verse 27. Let them be excited. So, instead of them running around saying, aha, aha, we have seen it, let, let these who love, who, are, who, um, who delight in my righteousness, let them, those who know the truth of the matter and see you delivering me, let them say, Instead of the aha, aha, let them say, Great is Yahweh who delights in the welfare of, my, of his servant. Okay? And so David then ends this psalm with another promise. And what's the other promise? Huh? Yeah, I'll tell. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness. And you can think again of Psalm 40, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to tell everybody I can and of your praise all the day long. Okay? Nothing wrong with uh, gabbing to others about the good things God has done. Okay? It's something we, as Presbyterians, we probably need to do a little bit better. Right? We need to tell others, here's the good things that God has done. Isn't that amazing? Right? Okay. So let's do this. So let me, I'm going to be bringing it home, so to speak. I'm trying to land this airplane. I love this book. I showed this to Bob uh, the other day. Uh, reading the Psalms with Luther. The, the, the Luther part is the, inter- so it's all of the ESV Psalms. It's actually pointed for chanting. Those of you who like to chant, the two of you. <laughs> I would be one of those too, by the way. But the tunes are there. If you can sight read chanting, it's there. There's eight tunes. Anyways, it's pointed for chanting. And what happens is that the beginning is an actual, at the beginning of each psalm is an actual short devotional um, uh, piece by Martin Luther on that psalm. Okay? And so that's the reading the psalms with Luther part. It has something extra. And as you go through the psalm, Whatever psalm it is, okay, so, uh, so we were at Psalm 35, let's see here. Psalm 35, what they do is they actually have interspersed some prayers. And the prayers, I don't want to read you the guy's name because I'll butcher it, but there was a, a guy who wrote prayers uh, meditating on the psalms and they intersper- he inters- they've interspersed them throughout. These are, they're old, they're like 120 years old or something like that. And it, he, they've interspersed them throughout the psalms, okay, and the value of that is as you're actually using the Psalms as part of your devotion, you stop for a moment and then you've got a prayer that kind of guides you through what you just worked through in the Psalm. Okay, I love it. It's a really d- decent devotional guide. This is it right here. Reading the Psalms with Luther. It's put out by Concordia Publishing, which is a Lutheran publisher. publisher. Here's the prayer at the end of Psalm 35. 
Lord our God, who loves righteousness and hates iniquity, restrain the enemies of your kingdom. Destroy the devices of those who take counsel against your truth. And stop the mouths of infidels and blasphemers, that the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, may be built, and righteousness and truth may be spread abroad. Amen. Amen. And that's the kind of prayers all the way throughout. Some of them get more personal, uh, your own particular situation. Others get larger. This one's a little bit larger prayer. I like it. I really do. I highly recommend it. There you go. So I put that up there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the shorter catechism, you know, that he would conquer his and our enemies, you know, that uh, part of the Lord's Prayer. Yes, Donnie. That's, yeah, that's all, he's, that's all he's driving at, right? And you know he's not wrathful revenge because he says, look, I spent all this time praying for them. Right? And so, but yeah, you're, you're right. And actually, most of his petition ends up being, vindicate me in this cause. Which is funny language because when you get to 1 Timothy two or 3, verse 16, it's actually part of the gospel that Jesus was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is Jesus' prayer. Vindicate me. The third day, the resurrection is the answer to part of this psalm. Vindicate me. Where the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Hear Him, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm raising Him from the dead. Yeah, yeah. And for us, because, you know, none of us are, are um, probably most of us are not, I don't think there's any of us in here that are magistrates, okay? And so as we, but seriously, as we pray, we can pray this psalm without going out and taking up arms and going being vigilantes. That's part of the reason why the, the psalms are given to God's people, so that we can actually have words, as John Calvin would say, God knows what we're going to sound like when we go through times like this, so He gave us the words to say. Right? And there are times, and I know we don't like to talk about it, but there are times when the, you wish you had something to say. You want to tell God about it. You give Him a piece of your mind. He gave you the words. And that's the value, part of the value of the Psalms. So you're not actually a vigilante out there, but you are laying the case out before the great judge. And it could be that you've misread things. And the great judge will come back and help you to see you've misread things. Okay? I have some testimony for that. Personal testimony. Yes. So recognizing that the voice in the psalm is the voice of our Lord Jesus, how does this warm and cheer your heart? Anybody? The one who's crying out, I'm being betrayed, is crying to the one who knows what it is to be betrayed. Things like that. How, do you, how does that warm your heart? You good Methodists in there, come on, it strangely warms your heart. Come on! Yeah, there is, yeah. You're not abandoned. Yeah, it should. Because most of the time when you're going through the thick of it, when you're in depression or whatever, most of the time you feel like God doesn't know and He's far, far away and He has no idea what I'm going through. Neither does any of the rest of you, so I'm going to hunker down into my own safe zone. 
And the psalm brings us back to go, no, the Lord actually knows what you're going through. He walked through it himself. Yeah, right, right. Don't walk around with the, the victim mentality, right. So how should Psalm 35 impact worship today? We're not going to read it, we're not going to sing it, but we've just had a class on it. How can this impact worship today? Okay. Yeah, a reason for worship. This is who you're coming to. You're actually taking the moment. Lord, I told you. I would give thanks in the great assembly. Here I am. Right? Or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, going back to Revelation, 24 elders cast in their crowns. We already talked about this part of the question here. How should the psalm bear in your life tomorrow? And then lastly, uh, think of ways that you could wholeheartedly pray. Verse 1. Contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. How could you wholeheartedly pray? Verse 1. Hmm. Maybe that's a good one to leave it on and let you think about that. How could you do that? Because what do we normally want to do? When somebody's contending against us, what do we normally want to do? Strike out ourselves. I'll, don't worry about it. I got this. I'll contend against them. Don't worry. You just sit over there. I'll take care of it, right? And then verse 1 actually saying, okay, Lord, this is what I want to do, but I'm going to start with you. You contend with those who contend with me and fight against those who fight against me, right? And remembering that not all of our enemies are God's enemies, so be humble as you pray that prayer. That'd be another thing to say, right? To make sure... But those who are continuing with you are continuing with you, as Jesus said, because you bear the name of Jesus. Sometimes people contend against us because we're stupid. I didn't know if you knew that. We do stupid things. Yeah. So sometimes we have people that contend with us because we just were foolish. So we need to actually own up to that and say, okay, Lord, I really want to do this, but actually I should go and, you know, tell them I'm sorry or whatever. Fix what I've got to do, Right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Great. Let's pray. Almighty God, warrior God, we are so grateful that we can come to you and pray, contend with those who contend against us, fight against those who fight against us. We confess that not all of our enemies are your enemies. Sometimes we want to make it that way, but it's not that way. So Lord, give us that humility. Help us to keep growing in that humility to recognize that. And that, uh, Lord, as people come after us because of the name of Jesus, then may we bring them to you. But I pray that we would have the same attitude that David had. That we would pray for them. We would even, in times of mourning, put on sackcloth and ashes, so to speak, for them. That we would care about their greatest good at all times, Lord. We thank you that our Lord Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed. To have a whole court system turned against him to have liars and people who took the truth and cooked it up. He knows what it is that people try to trip him up and turn his words on him. It is so comforting to know 
that your Son, who is right there interceding for us right now, knows all of this. So Lord, may we never hunker down in the fetal position. May we always turn to You, run to You, pour our hearts out to You, so that even with our bones we may cry out how good You are all the time. Great is Yahweh. He delights in the welfare of His people. In Jesus' name, Amen.